Good afternoon, everyone. This is Mark Molina, CEO of Molina Leadership and Business Development Solutions. I am here today to interview once again, Corey Rodley, candidate for Ward 3 City Council Race in Springfield, Oregon. Now we're gonna be giving all three of these candidates an additional extended interview on their leadership development, their leadership journey for the sake of the voters. With the pandemic and the lack of media and access, we wanna make sure that the voters get to hear what they, what they can from these candidates about who they are, <clears throat> excuse me, why they have the perspectives that they do. So Corey, thank you. Thank you for being here today. I have no predetermined questions. I have nothing written down. Today, we're gonna to talk about what you wanna talk about. I mean, and I'm the one that initiated this. So it's, it, this, is, this means to those that will see this, you, you know you. You know what you have been through. You're the only one that knows why you've taken the courses in life that you have. So in the military, we learned a lot about what's called backward planning. Mm -hmm. Begin with the end in mind, so to speak, Stephen Covey. So, if you don't mind, with that said, it's kind of might catch you off guard a little bit. Let's go backwards a little bit. When and where and how did it start your service, your leadership development, to where you are today? You don't have to say it all, but some of the most um, important mileposts. That's an interesting question, actually, because you think back over your life story um, and think how you get to where you get. And I think, uh, I think that for me, uh, I've, I've always thought of myself as a joiner. So there's, so that's how I kind of got, have gotten myself into trouble is that I tend to be someone who wants to join and get involved. And even as a kid, both of my parents uh, are very introverted. And so I was definitely, as one of my, my middle of life friends said when we were talking about our, our life stories, um, I was definitely the loud one in my family. Mm -hmm. My sister has gone on to be an actor and is a, a, a professor at the University of Oregon and teaches acting. She is definitely like a put things out there person where was always the loud person in my family and I just got involved in things and through getting involved and getting experience and building relationships and and stumbling and trying things so I you know I I joined basketball teams and softball teams and cheerleading squads and was wrote for the newspaper in high school and just tried all the things and that's how I discovered that I had what I guess you would, I mean, I guess you would call it some leadership ability. And it's really just this willingness to jump in and see how I can be useful and get involved in serve. So that's kind of how it started is I just tended to try lots of things. And then um, when I graduated from high school and went on to college, I thought that I, my career choice, I was really interested in journalism, but I was particularly interested in storytelling. And so I thought I was gonna go into public relations, which I kind of have and have done some public relations work, but I really had no idea that the world of nonprofit existed when I graduated from high school. I didn't really, I mean, I knew that there were, there were like, uh, you know, back in the day that there were like soup kitchens or churches that did things, but I didn't know that there was like organized nonprofit as a way of doing work. So I kind of stumbled into it. And once I discovered it, I was like, I love this work because I can wear lots of hats. I get to be really involved. I get to be really challenged and feel like every day is impacting people's lives in a positive way. Mm -hmm. But had somebody told me that I would be doing this work for 30 years, I would have I would have, I didn't even know, in the 80s, it was the Reagan era, I didn't even know that you could, you could do service forever. So that's kind of how I stumbled into it and then just kept saying, yes, I could try that, or yes, I would be happy to be involved with that, or I discovered more passions about things and just got involved. So your degree is in journalism? No, English. English. Yeah, so English. That, that, would that, just out of curiosity, I don't know, would it English... Uh, degree be part of a journalism degree? It could be. Yeah, it's it's a lot of reading and writing. Um, I think that uh, 
I think that it has been a useful, it was a useful area of study for me. And it took me, I think I've told you, it took me 20 years. Mm -hmm. I started college and then I meandered and I got married and I had to go to work and then I was a single parent and it took me years to finally get through my undergrad. And so as I evolved um, and when I went back in my mid thirties, I did a lot of minor studies in planning public policy and management because by then I was had been working in nonprofit and I wanted to kind of augment my studies. Um, but definitely there's a lot of, there's a lot of reading and writing, <laughs> which happens in an English degree, plus this ability to, or this, this deeper understanding of just the, the human stories and the human mm -hmm. condition. And I think that's probably what it has given me the most, uh, is that I genuinely have this appreciation for the human condition and what we're all going through and to mm -hmm. be able to look at that through different perspectives. And even different like language, whether it's through the language of poetry or uh, stories that have been translated from one to another, it's starting to understand. And if you're hearing noises from my computer, it's because things are coming at me still while I'm trying to chat. Um, <laughs> so you'll hear these little dings, and it's it's all me. I'm sorry, but okay, I'm sending you things. That's okay. So let, let's talk about that real quick. Let's talk about twenty years to get your undergrad. That's that shows commitment, that shows devotion, married, having kids, working, still having the goal, having the hope, the desire, the dream to get a college degree and understanding that life happens along the way. It's mm -hmm. great when for some that can go and finish, but there's a lot of us that have to have that cycle of life, those cycles of life, those seasons of life, where everything is happening at once and we're learning to manage and to grow and adjust and adapt and be successful while we're juggling all along the way. And so talk, how did you, let's talk about that. I see those as a very formative foundational piece of your life of leadership because a, a classroom does not teach you leadership. A book does not teach you leadership. A one-time experience can expose you to ideas or principles of leadership, but it is, in my estimation, and I believe a legitimate estimation, a continuum. It is a process. It is a journey. And I see that 20 years of all of that work and effort and life as part of that continuum of leadership development in your life. Looking back, what are some of the things you can clearly identify that helped you continue to grow? and learn to become part of who you are today. So particularly in regards to my education, I think looking back, I now, uh, and I think a lot of us do this as we tend to, when we're going through something, it feels just like a burden. And I thought I was never going to get through. And when you look back, there are some real pluses. And so for me, since I tended to go in chunks, so I went right fresh out of, high school so I had that experience I had about a year's worth of college as that experience and then as a young married person I went back and went to community college for another year and then when I went back again I was a single parent and so I had these three very different experiences which has broadened my understanding of what that looks like for a lot of other people. So we tend to think of, oh, the college years, but to be a non-traditional student in different ways and to go to different schools to get that has definitely given me this, this just broad understanding of how easy or challenging it can be depending on what your life looks like. And when I went back in my 30s, uh, and now this will be recorded for posterity. There's only a few people that know, you know, I was working full time. I had kids at home. And so for me, the goal was like, I just need, I need to get this done somehow. And so this one term where I was, and I was enrolled at the University of Oregon, and I also enrolled at Lane Community College to get some basics out of the way. So there was one term where I took 29 credits. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but it was pieced together. It wasn't like I was sitting in class. Some of those were online classes, which I couldn't have done when I first started in the 80s. So it was like just this, this focus of like, I can't do this forever. And this is all temporary anyway. 
And so my, it, my goals changed over time, which I think happens for us, where it starts out where you're like, I don't know what I'm going to study. I'm just going to take classes. I'm going to meet people. And by the end, it was like, I need to figure out how I can achieve this with my life the way it is now. And for me, and just my capacity, it was like, I need to just do some really intense, expanded, we're going to do the best we can for a couple of terms and live really hard. And then we'll be able to accomplish it. So I think that's part of that, what you're talking about, that leadership development is that who you are at a certain time and the best that you're bringing to something at a certain time in your life is going to change over time. And you're find your capacity expanded. I used to tell my kids, the more you do do, the more you can do. Right. And that was something I learned from experience is that if you push yourself, and not, not in a crazy like way, but if you can push yourself and see what you can, you can do and you do more, then you're going to find your capacity expand. So as I'm listening to you talk, I wrote down, as we go through this process of life, this growth process of life, you have one term, you got 29 credits, completely focused, you know everything's different. And time is, as we get older, we realize time is not necessarily on our side anymore. And we have to utilize the time that we have fiercely in moments. Mm -hmm. And I wrote down, we mature, we adjust, we adapt, we learn, and we change. And, I and I'm listening to you tell your leadership story, uh, part of your leadership development over that um, two decades of growth and development. That is quite the trajectory to come into from where you were to who you all of a sudden were aware of. This is who I am and where I'm at now. And now I've got I've to get this done. No more messing around. So with this new focus of 29 credit hours, 29 credit on, on one term, how did that go and how did that propel you forward in your goals and objectives? So I think once I realized I could do it and it wasn't, and the thing about doing something like that is like being really clear on what the goal is if my goal had been to be a four-point student at that point, I wouldn't have been able to do that, but my goal was to, to finish. And so I had to be willing to say, okay, I'm going to take these classes pass-fail. I'm going to have to take these online. I might, not ever, I might not take my dream courses every term because that's not, that's not the goal. The goal is to accomplish this, to move on, to get done. So um, I think that that's, that's part of what I learned is that that imperfection, right? That progress is very imperfect. It's if you're clinging to perfection, you're probably going to get stuck. And what I also learned is that um, that that clarity of learning how to ask yourself, where is it that I want to be at the end of this? And I find that I bring this lot to my work now that I didn't necessarily have when I was younger, where when people were getting stuck or were asking questions, one of the things that I will bring is like, where is it that we're trying to get at the end? Because otherwise, if we get stuck in process and trying to make that process perfect, we're never gonna get there. And I learned that just through, through the experience, you know, through the hard knocks of life of realizing, yeah, perfection is not always progress. And that if you wanna get to where you wanna go, you're going to have, there's going to be compromise, and but there's going to need to be a focus on where is it that we want to go, and we need to get really clear about that so that we can figure out how to get there. There's a book by, I believe his name is Thomas Stanley, PhD. He wrote the book called The Millionaire Mind. Oh. And in his book, he talks about, he, he the entire book is based on leadership, growth and development, communication, and first-generation millionaires. And what, what they went through in their success, their development, their training, their learning processes to get where they are. And that is one of the things that is stressed so highly is that most of, the, most of them were non-traditional students. 
most of them were C and D average students. Most of them had very low GPAs, but most of them learned how to work really, really hard from growing up in difficult times or military service and learning to have to plow through the challenges of life as most importantly being able to effectively communicate and to get along with others. If you've never read that book, it's very interesting. I wrote I read, it down. Yeah, yeah. I read that book more than once and it always impacts me when I read about like, for instance, in that book, Martin Luther King Jr. He's told, you know, don't go to college, stay home, be a pastor like your dad, you're not smart enough. So he gets his college degree, he applies for his master's, you're not smart enough, you're a C and D average student, go home and be a preacher like your daddy and your grandfather. He gets through the program. He applies for his PhD, same story, you're not smart enough, you're wasting your time, our time, go home and preach. But he stood up against the negative expectations and with particular disciplines, if you read the book, he pressed his clothes every, every day, he polished his shoes every day, he made his bed every day, he did many simple little disciplines and knew he was probably never going to be an A student, but he still wanted to complete his journey and then look ultimately how his life ended up and his massive impact in the world. And so I mentioned those things because you mentioned you're a non-traditional student and all of these other areas are building blocks of your leadership uh, psychology, your leadership mentality, your leadership uh, paradigm, the model of your individual personal leadership, how I see you. Um, and I think this is critical to, for, for people to understand that leadership is not gonna be found on a, on a piece of paper, should I say a diploma. It's mm -hmm. all of these other building blocks that make us who we are. So here what we're talking about, you're understanding you can't cling to perfection, Perfection is not always progress. You knew what you had to do. You had some struggles. You had some growth. You had some challenges. You go back to school. You're, you 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 decided what you're going to get done. You took some amazing classes of um, of publicly uh, public policy. I mean, planning and public policy management. You finish your degree. What happens next? I just keep going. I, I never. Um... I didn't like do graduation or anything like that because because again that wasn't like that wasn't the goal the goal was like I'm gonna finish this get this put this tuck this in my my bag and move on mm -hmm. so I, I kept doing the work that I was doing all along I kept raising my kids I just it, it I just kept moving on and so it still is and I've never really thought about going back i don't have any desire to go to graduate school because i became again so interested in doing work in the community and doing impactful useful work so it was it was it was like it was the thing that like okay i'm done and i let it go and i said so i don't know if you know that's part of it too is that um i didn't even i didn't even really because i tend to think of myself as a pretty ordinary average person mm -hmm. so even at the time feel and it's it still doesn't it's just like a thing that I did and I moved on and it was a piece to make sure that I had accomplished that so that I could move on with the other things that seemed more important to me at the time and still do so yeah well I think that's a, part, a piece of effective leadership as well as understanding that that achievement is part of our learning cycle but when we once we're done with that for instance with your your college education up to this point, you've said, you know, that you decided to do impact work. You decided to keep moving forward, to keep going on, to keep making a difference. And I don't believe you have to go back to get a master's degree to be any more effective, to be any more decisive or any more critical to the work that you're doing. For some people, they may feel that's necessary or maybe, maybe for the type of work they want to do that is necessary. But I don't think it's it's even necessarily or necessarily a requirement, but this is all part of of who you are. Um, your your process to leadership. I, I think it's really compelling because we all have our different. You know, society says what: graduate high school, go to college, get your four degree. You're 21, so you better know exactly what it is and what you want to do, and you go out and 
get a job somewhere with good benefits and you go on and you make money and buy a house and buy two cars and whatever, whatever comes next. But for the most part, that's not life for most of us. It is this 20 year, one foot in, one foot out because we have responsibilities. It's not because you don't care. So you have this perspective developed over time, this perspective developed over pain, this, this, this perspective developed through loss and gain and achievement and discovery. How, at what was the job, your first job post-college that you began to really realize, all right, this is real. This is something that compels me to get into the stream of movement. Because you said you're a joiner. And I know that about you enough now to know that is 100% truth. So what was that first job that began to really uh, resonate with your heartstrings as, as far as uh, being in unison with that movement? I love this question. Uh, so I was, um, I was 20 or 21 years old, and this was when I was, I was going to school part-time at Portland Community College because I was living in Portland at the time. And I was working for Mercedes-Benz Credit Corporation, processing credit applications and calculating payoffs for Mercedes. And I was like, oh, this can't be all of it. Like, I, I don't know what to do. And, and I wanted to do something. And I was like, well, maybe I'll volunteer. So I happened to open the newspaper one day and I read this article about this new house that was opening that was a, a recovery house for women who specifically women who were coming out of the prison system with their kids as in so that they could have their kids with them and they needed volunteers and they needed donations and I was like this sounds interesting this is great you know I was like this sounds really interesting this is the first one of its kind on the west coast I want to know more about this so I was so young and there's part of that thing when you're young and you just think you can do anything so I actually went down there I didn't even call first I just walked in and I was like what do you need like I have time I could like do you want me to buy diapers what do you need and so they were like you know we could really use somebody to come and just help like watch the kids while we're having like um, AA and NA classes and things like that. And I was like, fine, I didn't have any kids yet. I'm like, yes, I will do that. So I started doing that and it was such a different environment that I had been in. And it was women that I otherwise had not interacted with who had had life experiences that I hadn't, I had no understanding of, I, you know, because I was coming from living in the country down in Douglas County. So it just, it started to open my eyes and I realized that I was never going to be a social worker, that I was, that wasn't the personality that I had. And yet I was really drawn to kind of the business of how do you, how it's important. It was, became important to me that they figure out how to stay open. That was really it. So, and I was like 2021, I'm like, you know what, we should, let's raise some money. <laughs> and they're like, you go raise some money because we're saving lives. You go raise some money. So I was like, I'm going to take this grant writing workshop out at the community college. So I did. And then I'm like, I'm going to write a grant. And so I did. And then the grant got funded. And I was like, all right. And I was like, we should have an event. We should partner with, at that time, my mother-in-law would go to the symphony every um, every week or whatever it was. And I'm like, we should partner with the symphony and have an event and raise money. And so we did. And so I started being like, well, this is fabulous work because I'm able to do things that I am fearless and interested in and it is being impactful and it's not just lining someone else's pockets we're able to like keep the doors open and help these folks or help provide an environment where people can do the work so that they could be reunited with their kids and they could stay sober and they could work through that so that was that was my first job I mean I had no idea that any of that existed I was young enough to think that I could do anything and had some early successes. So then I just wanted to get better at it. I think effective leadership, legitimate long-term effective leadership has to have a sense of, of appreciation for the world around them and for those that are diametrically opposite, even maybe opposed to who they are. 
And I learned in the military, I was from a small town in Texas when I joined the U.S. Army, and I had no real exposure to anything outside of Texas, Texas life, Texas culture, Texas upbringing. And I found myself exposed to people from all over the U.S. and even many people from different countries. How, here you are, this country girl out of Douglas County. Right. Yeah. And now you're in California. You're working for this organization, volunteering, taking care of kids around these women that their lives are completely foreign to you, fresh out of prison, doing NA, AA, but they, they love their kids. They're trying to get on their feet. What did you learn about your ability to, to appreciate the differences, to respect the differences, and to understand this dichotomy of life and, and living, you were so different from them. How did you, what was your growth process like in that? So I think for me, and when I remember this, and I've talked about this with people before, uh, some of the most impactful things that happened for me at that time was this was where I came to realize that my perspective and you know this this assumption uh, of coming from this um, white middle class experience was not one the only experience and two not necessarily even um you know we tend to think you know when it comes to like white supremacy and i don't mean like kkk but i mean like what we, we tend to think that ours is the best and that also is not true and this was my first experience of realizing that um, that people had no idea who I was, nor did they necessarily care. <laughs> so, I mean, that might be similar to an experience. I, I was not in the military, but it might be similar to that, where, you know, they don't necessarily know who I am, and they have absolutely no reason to trust me. They have no reason to trust me with their kids. When they see me, this was my first beginning understanding of, you know, when they see me, they're seeing this young, sheltered, white person who is not necessarily someone to be trusted with their kids. And at first, that was, and that, I mean, that's just the beginning of a little bit of mind-blowing compared to other experiences I've had in my life that have forced me to decenter myself and my experience, that that was my, in, my introduction to that. And it, I believe that it just, it shifted my my understanding of who i was in the world forever and gave me just sort of gave me the chance to just open up and realize that there are so many different ways of being in this world and you are not the center of the world and you're gonna have to to undo redo relearn a lot of things that you've learned if you are ever going to be an authentic ally to anybody mm -hmm. So what, what did you come to learn or appreciate, appreciate about the life struggles and or the life stories of these uh, ladies and what they were coming out of and going through, trying to get reestablished? And this is a big deal. If you're elected to Ward 3 City Council, you're going to hear from and have exposure to people from all walks of life, all different kinds of uh, economic backgrounds, education backgrounds, social struggles, uh, you know, post-incarceration, post-addiction, how was how would that kind of experience what did you learn from those people the the ladies um their stories and how did that affect you and your your paradigm um it's interesting it's so it's so interesting i want you to know mark to be thinking back that far and trying to see that as this this nugget of things um because i can think of so many other experiences that have built we, we can talk about those too if you want yeah. to. no 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 this is it's interesting because you, you you just um like i said earlier i tend to just move on and so to think about it and think like oh yeah this is a beginning place of that and to start to realize that no one is one-dimensional mm -hmm. and that these um decisions or choices that people might be making in the moment, whether it's because of addiction or, you know, that they've had generational addiction, to be able to see folks and to learn to appreciate those experiences as this whole human experience, as opposed to saying, 
these people are good people, these people are bad people. You know, there's a tendency that families who have uh, lost custody of their kiddos as, you know, these people are bad people and not to understand the complexities of what might be happening in that situation. And to see just firsthand at such a young age, how hard, and this is something that I have just built on this understanding of, you know, it is very, very difficult and it is hard and it takes a lot of skill to navigate poverty and to navigate these situations that some folks never have to deal with. So we tend to say, oh, you know, those folks haven't, they're not doing their part or whatever, as opposed to not really understanding. And this was the beginning of my understanding of how, what it takes and the, just the, the deep skills that it takes to navigate when you're, you're having all of these hard situations and all of these hard life things happening that it, it just, it takes just this deep, deep skill. So that's one of the things that I came to have nothing but appreciation for. And I continue to have this appreciation and having worked in basic needs and having been a part of that and seeing just what it takes when you, you know, there's so many extra steps when you are navigating poverty to get from A to B to C. That's a big term, navigating poverty, because that's not always necessarily poverty of finance, but it could be the poverty of the spirit, of the mind, of not having hope, not seeing the potential for a future, not having the uh, development or the reserves to endure because you've already been through so much pain and you're already so broken and you're just trying to get through one more day and I think that for credible leaders whoever they are especially I believe more than ever now more than ever in our in our world system and meaning the governments of the world the government of the United States at every level we have to have more people that understand this concept of this life can be really hard and it can be really painful and we have a responsibility to not just uh, be concerned about those that can do the most but we have to be concerned with and for those who who have don't have the ability but to participate the least does that make sense is that mm -hmm. yeah so you know this has changed you what was next you had this experience what what happened next professionally how did that propel you forward i think what happened next for me is kind of a combination of professionally and personally my experience of being a single parent and a working single parent i think is also very impactful um, because i had to learn how to juggle all of that also again very imperfectly so i think the wanting to bring everything that i had to my work and also be everything that i could for my kids and that was another area where i tended to push myself so that i was um you know still even when i was a, even when well when i was a single parent i also was serving on boards and coaching soccer teams and helping with the homework i mean you know you know we're, we're trying to do all of those things because i wanted to be as present as possible in all of those places so and i was young and had a lot of energy so i could do that so i think so that also is a very is part of what has shaped who i am it's how to um, how to just be willing to step up in all of those different ways and realize that maybe I wasn't the world's best soccer coach, but what it meant to the little girls that I coached and my own kids was important and impactful. And maybe I wasn't always the um, the the most present in every meeting that I was in, but I was still bringing everything that I could and doing the best that I could and trying to build those relationships along the way. So that also has very much shaped me in being able to have some compassion for both myself and for other people that I'm working with and realizing, you know, we're all doing the best we can and we're trying to achieve that balance in life 
and be there for all the people that we want to be there for. And so I think that that was definitely probably the next best big impactful thing was just trying to figure out how to be a working single parent. Well, I wrote down what you said, you know, effective leadership is, it's, it's imperfect. We, we adjust, we adapt, we do the very best we can. It looks different every day. And you're trying to be present in all these different areas simultaneously because you care, you want to make a difference, you want to serve. And I think that that's important because we can put too much pressure on our leaders, regardless of whether it's a leader in the home or in the business or elected leadership. You have to be perfect. You can't do anything wrong. You can't make any mistakes. And I think that leadership that has been through some of these processes that you're, you're mentioned, they can identify, they have empathy, they have the ability to relate to all these different types of struggles that their constituents could be facing at any given time. And that I believe that would have an impact on your ability in a positive way to govern well, uh, to govern intentionally, to, uh, you know, to be present uh, in that moment with the things that have to be decided upon in spite of all the, the, the struggles around you. Mm-hmm. What about, um, let's talk a little bit about your professional development. Let's talk about that journey of positions, organizations. What did that look like for you? You're probably in your mid twenties by now, right? Or maybe. Yeah. Yeah. What did that, how did that start? A, a changing based on your changes internally. So uh, since I was I was drawn to what I consider to be sort of the business side of nonprofit management. So I started out in roles like um, being a volunteer coordinator and being a special events coordinator and moving up for me then began eventually becoming a development director. And because I brought this experience with also doing a lot of marketing and public relations, becoming a marketing and development director. And I tended to be drawn to, in nonprofit organizations, often they're fairly flat. So in order to get different experiences, you might have to work in different places. And also because I was a joiner and I was interested. So I tended to work in human services. And I also worked with some performing arts organizations. So I was able to build this vast experience before I eventually felt like I was at a place in my career in my 40s where I was ready to take on more leadership. And um, my first job as an executive director was working for CALC or Community Alliance of Lane County. And it was a way to bring all sorts of different things together along with the sort of passion that I had for making community change. And then from there, it was like, okay, we've done this work. What else is there that we can do to kind of augment that? And more public relations work. I became very interested in And I still am very interested in mission-driven small businesses alongside of nonprofits because I think that there are various ways that we can do really great work and it doesn't always have to be in a nonprofit. It can also be through a business that's just very passionate about particular issue areas. Your business is one that's like that. Um, And so I became very interested in wanting to learn more about that side of business. So that's been sort of the trajectory is is it's kind of always been on the business side, but it needed, I really needed to have that, that reason, like wanted there to be a reason. Why are we working so hard? And if we're going to raise money or we're going to um, create programming, I want it, I want to know that it's changing people's lives. So. So you're doing some work, I believe you're chairman of the board for is it the Tri-County Chamber of Commerce? Is that right? Yes. So that that then resonates with what you just mentioned for you, the small business. Talk to us a little bit about what you're learning about business and management and helping move a chamber of commerce uh, successfully integrated with its local government uh, to, to to meet those economic needs of a community. What's really interesting and fun about the Tri-County Chamber of Commerce is you're actually working with its Junction City, Harrisburg, and Monroe. And I think I said before when we've talked that eventually they're going to kick me off because I no longer work in that area, but they're letting me fill out my service as president of the board um, of directors. And is that you're working with three different communities. Mm-hmm. And 
different and similar. So, you know, every, every municipality, every city has its own kind of style of government and some are more pro-business than others, mm -hmm. more involved with the chamber than others. Here in Springfield, our chamber of commerce and our city government are really entwined and our Springfield chamber of commerce gets involved in political issues. It doesn't necessarily happen in an official way with the Tri-County Chamber, but that's not to say that in a small community, everybody's not wearing all kinds of different hats. Uh, one of the things that I've loved about that chamber is that it's a combination of such interesting and different businesses. In a rural community, you have businesses that are manufacturing businesses, you have restaurants, and you also have people who have who own manufactured home communities or are or farming equipment and so you have people with a lot of different styles of businesses and I think that has been really interesting to me to see to, to be a part of that and just like and it's just it's on a smaller scale but it's just like with the Springfield Chamber of Commerce a lot of folks who get involved in the chamber are also joiners particularly the ones who are involved and so they wear lots of different hats and they might also serve you know they might also serve on the city council or they might also serve in on the grange board or other ways and so it's a really great way to really get this understanding of the fabric of a community and how change is happening and how things are getting done and how people are supporting each other and i think that one of the things that we don't often think about when we think about the business community which to me is really you know we're just we're all parts of all of it is we don't think about how it's it's that fabric of people that are all providing services and helping and supporting each other and when we talk about you know shopping local and supporting local that's really what that's about it's about understanding that you know when we buy our our stuff from the hardware store or when we buy our food from here we're all we're supporting jobs and we're supporting people and i that sense of um, connection and kind of working towards the economic prosperity of an a region is just i find it to be really inspiring and it's just a part of something that i care a lot about you talk about three different cities, a, ru a rural community. I have a hard time saying that word, rural. <laughs> rural. Yeah. <laughs> manufactured homes, farmers, manufacturing, farming equipment. That's a pretty dynamic picture of really what a great part of what the Oregon economy looks like at the state level and also locally. How would that help you if you're elected to ward three how would that help you because you're already on the budget committee so you mm -hmm. know what the dollars look like this is going to be post-pandemic if if you're elected there's gonna be a lot of hard decisions to make how does your awareness of the rural, rural surrounding communities that have an impact here can have an impact here how do you think that uh, has will, would help you as a leader and, and in in this situation i think and this kind of comes back to what i was talking earlier about the the appreciation for stories and the the human experience because i think even though we think of springfield as an urban area we have this this vision and we have this story that we tell ourselves about who we are being a, a timber community um, I've heard many, many of us, and probably I have said it too, talk about the small town feel. So, and the fact that I grew up in Douglas County and I've been part, you know, was grew up as part of a logging family. So I think that the, our identity of who we are gets woven in with the reality of what our economics or our city looks like. And I think it's important to kind of keep, hold both of those together because it definitely influences how decisions are made. It's, you know, it's part of why we've spent money working on a, a, a parking garage built out of wood, because we have this, this identity and this, this mythology of who we are as a community. And I think that the reality of that, that experience in a rural area and understanding, understanding how to hold that 
and also how to just have real conversations about what's really happening <laughs> right in terms of like how are we really spending money and what are the what are the real necessary businesses and what are the real necessary core services and to be able to pull that apart all while we're kind of honoring yes this is our identity our identity and this is our history and this is who we think of ourselves as but this isn't necessarily the future and this isn't necessarily where we're really going to make money so I don't know if that was a clear way of saying that or not, but I think that, and the other thing that I've learned working in a rural area and being part of the Chamber of Commerce in a rural area is, you know, we can't make assumptions about what the business community is. Because we want to say the business community says this, and we do this here in Springfield, the business community all feels this way, or the business community is politically aligned this way. And making we can't make assumptions about that because we're all individuals and we're all different and we don't all necessarily think the same. And I think it's important for us to keep that in mind that even though it may appear that there's this unified voice called the business community, we're living in the community and we have different ideas and opinions too. Yeah, I think if anyone would ever visit the Springfield Chamber of Commerce Board of Directors meeting, which I'm on, and they would see those differences manifest quickly <laughs> and uh, how we're not afraid to really involve ourselves in the in, in incredibly intense conversations that are required and uh, trying to get to heart the heart of different issues and i think that that's important i think that whoever the leader whoever is elected in war three is going to have is going to need an, an amazing amount of courage it's going to need an amazing amount of, of ability to understand the differences of pre and post pandemic and pre and post pandemic economy pre and post pandemic budget uh, pre and post pandemic psychology of the city of the citizens of the business economy there's going to be uh, they're going to need an ability to be fluid beyond their wildest imagination in my opinion to to work with a system that will be unfolding um, incrementally as it responds to what has been lost, the adjustments that have to be made so that we can move forward with positive gains. That doesn't necessarily just mean revenue, that means all areas of the community as a whole. So we have about 10 more minutes. Talk about you know, your work with the United Way, your ongoing exposed exposure as a leader or any other positions of leadership that you've held that that formed and fashioned your paradigm so that's also a really great question because and i think as i said before that i think of leadership really around service but i also think of it um in terms of collaboration and relationships, because no one of us can do anything by ourselves. Just what you were talking about of that, that sort of flexibility and fluidity at, that we're going to need coming out of the pandemic. I would also add to that, that we're going to need to be creative and collaborative because with reduced resources or reduced access to resources, we're going to need to be willing to look for ways to partner and for ways to work together regionally even um, in order to keep core services and do what people need to do. And I think that that's that that mindset is important and it has been something that has evolved for me over time is learning how part of being a collaborative leader is knowing when to step up and when to step back and when someone else is better suited to help lead something and you're better suited to support that and when someone comes to you and is like i need you to take the lead to be willing to step into that and so that kind of collaboration i think is we have an opportunity for that in springfield and to do more of that and that comes from like building really authentic relationships and what you were talking about in terms of your your board being able to have those contentious discussions mm -hmm. and to share different opinions and to do that in a really kind of genuine and respectful way is how you build those relationships. And that's how you build really true collaborations is if you're able to say, you know what, 
I do not agree with you. And let's talk about why. And let's get to a place where we do agree so that we can push this forward together. And I think those are some of those communication skills that you were talking about that we could really use coming out of this because we're going to have to be creative and collaborative. And we're going to have to just be willing to like roll up our sleeves look at different ways of doing it and maybe shake loose some of those ideas of who we thought we were going to be because mm -hmm. we're going to look different. You know, I spent a couple of years on the United Way Board of Directors. And one of the things that I appreciated about that experience was the amount of experts that they deal with on so many different issues. As a leader, you have to be able to listen to others, their presentation, their perspective, their paradigm, I like what you just said a moment ago. You might not always be the person to be the lead in that particular setting. And you have to step back and say, you know, you have more capacity to do this than I do. I will support you in this. I think that's a vital part of, of leadership is understanding what your limitations are. And when someone else has a more a natural ability to successfully lead in that moment, to come up behind them and help them lead in that moment successfully. You know, if you're if you're elected to Warthy, you're going to have to listen to a lot of different experts. Mm -hmm. How has your leadership journey up to this point prepared you for that? I think my whole journey <laughs> has prepared me for that. Really, my whole just life journey, in addition to leadership, um, and because I've also sat on boards and I've worked on task forces and I've worked in different work environments where there's a lot of you know different opinions about things and i think particularly when we're working you know some of us some of us sometimes we can build this little cushion where we're living and working in an environment where we all tend to think alike that has not been my experience and i have often found myself working on uh, boards or in, in situations where there's some very di just we're very different we have different opinions and yet we care about the same things mm -hmm. um, working in basic needs and working with food pantries you have people that are there for a lot of different reasons they're there because they're part of a church they're there because they're on a different political you know they're for a lot of different reasons and yet every you get to the place where everybody agrees that no one should go hungry mm -hmm. i think that and and people bring different strengths and I think part of also becoming that, that maturing and becoming more seasoned is that you realize that there is, if I live to be 300 years old, I will not be an expert at everything. Mm -hmm. I have strengths and I have things that I can uniquely do. And there are other things that I cannot uniquely do. And my, the, the people that I have most loved working with or bosses or whatever that I have had have been people who were willing to build those teams, mm -hmm. and let them shine. And so that's been something that I have wanted to incorporate into my life is to be, you know, to have enough, um, to be humble enough to say, you know what, I'm maybe not the, I'm not the best mathematician. I'm probably not the person to do that, but I can do this. Mm -hmm. and you to do this because you're so good at this so i think that's that's also really important is to be able to know that you there's no way you can do anything and that this process of campaigning this process of being a candidate there's like this pressure for us to stand up and be like i'm the best at this and i can do all of these things and this has happened because of me and i feel really uncomfortable with that because i've worked collaboratively as part of a team for so much of my life that I just, I feel like we did this and I brought these pieces, but maybe working with these people brought out even more in me. And so I think that's, that's, and part of being a counselor or a board or anything is if you are, if you like working in that way and you get good at it, it's, you learn that that's the truth is that you are not everything. You are a piece of that and you have a role to play and you are you are as good as all of you together and just so uh the voters that don't know you that will watch this and they will just name off a few of the boards and the task forces that you've participated on if you don't mind quickly i don't mind so currently i'm on the budget committee for the city of springfield and for springfield utility board 
I also am part of the um, Equity and Access Advisory Board for Lane County. And I have been part of that board since its inception. And just, I've just finished my service as president of that board. And I have enjoyed that and will I think I have another year or two before they kick me off and I have to take a break. Um, early in my career, I was on the Eugene Ballet Board of Directors, which I loved because we, I mean, I loved it for a lot of reasons because I love ballet and performing arts, but also we used to have wine and cheese at our board meetings. I haven't had a board meeting like that since. Um, I'm, on, I'm currently on the Tri-County Chamber Board where I'm the president of that board. And I was on the PFLAG, Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. I was on the board, I chaired the board for the Q Center years ago. So I've been on some different things over time. What, what would you do if you're elected to Ward 3 City Council position, what would you do to help develop the next leaders for the city, potentially for city council, for different subcommittees for the council? What actions would you take to help that process take place? I love this question because I'm working on this in my day job, um, leadership development and particularly look, working on sort of diverse leadership development. So I get to talk about it because I've been working on it. Um, I think that we have some room for improvement because we tend to say, oh look, we have these committees and we have these opportunities, just come beyond them. Well, first of all, you know, there are barriers to people being involved with them. So I think that it is important for us to, to start to look at the structures that we have and say, is this, is this the only way to, are, are committee meetings and board meetings the only way to have civic engagement or do we call people on the phone? And we do, I mean, we just have done these things the same way forever. And I think it's time for us to unpack those structures to make them more accessible. And I think that instead of expecting people to come to us, which some people do, and people probably like you and I are like, we join the things and we're like, what can I get involved with and how can I do it? And we know how. We need to build relationships outward and going to, because there are, there are leaders in all sorts of communities, all sorts of places, and there are people who are, you know, involved in PTAs or involved in, um, you know, citywide metro, and there are people that are doing all of these great things, and we're like, well, why aren't they coming to our meetings? Well, why would they come to our meetings, first of all? And so if we're building relationships outward, and we're going, and we're supporting, and we're encouraging, and we're actually again, it comes back to that sort of decentering ourselves, mm -hmm. we're going to start to create this flow of different leaders, and they are going to, and, and we have to be willing to step aside and share that power, because that's mm -hmm. the other thing, is we'll say, let's bring one person in, and then we never make room for them to really participate authentically. So we're going to have to sort of tear things apart in order to make room for some different ways of making decisions. You know, if you're elected to Ward 3, one of the things that I would just like to see from the city overall is a leadership development training program for the future leaders, for potentially city council, for potentially to run for mayor, for these much needed uh, subcommittees that they get their input uh, from as they help manage and help govern and help lead. There's a lot of subcommittees for the city in different areas and I just I would like to see some form of program an initiation program if nothing else who can we go out to who's making a difference who do we know personally that are in different ways uh, involved in the community it could be just a little league baseball coach or something like that mm -hmm. who is serving and they have this preparation phase I think that's important. I think that's a, a serious consideration. And I think there's room to build on that for some mentorship, really, mm -hmm. because I know that I have benefited from people who have mentored me and have sort of helped along the way. And I think, you know, sometimes going to a budget committee meeting and not knowing what's going or how things are operated or meeting management can be overwhelming. But if you have an ally and you have a mentor and you have somebody who's helping to move you into that, that can also be really helpful. Yeah. Just from all my years in the military, the military was all about the next leaders that were coming up, get, getting them ready, getting them prepared. 
making sure you have a full spectrum of, of uh, involved, concerned individuals who are ready for that next advancement because the military mission depended on that. And so I've just always, you know, I see it's just my, <clears throat> excuse me, my personal paradigm that I'd like to see that pool of leadership development. And I know the, the Chamber of Commerce has their leadership program. I know that. And I know they have their short-term leadership program. And those are great. I've been through the leadership program there. But, you know, I would just like to see a, a thoughtfulness, a thoughtful approach by city government, elected officials to have some kind of implemented development or mentorship, if that's the best word for it. Uh, towards developing a pool of people that, that they can begin to uh, develop and put take an interest in and get them ready for what's next for the future down the road. And I think it's an opportunity for us to, as you and I talked about early on, to expand what we think leadership is. Because mm -hmm. we can, you know, people might have this, these blinders or this antiquated idea of here's what a leader is and mm -hmm. to be to expand that is what's going to really diversify and and bring such energy to our future. Yes. All right. Well, that's an hour, Corey, and I want to thank you for today. I hope that you feel that it was fruitful, uh, that you were able to tell your story a little bit more for the voters, for the people that don't know you, and for the people that think they know you. Maybe they'll hear in this things that will be news to them for the first time and their appreciation will grow for you of you and your relationships will get stronger. Uh, just as a member of Springfield, the city of Springfield, uh, business owner, homeowner, I wanna thank you for your participation in the electoral process, for making yourself available, uh, for getting in the process of engagement to represent the citizens. I wish you the best in this journey and thank I'll you. be meeting with your, the, uh, your opponents. I'll be speaking with uh, Chris McAllister this afternoon and waiting for the finalized time of uh, Johannes Tadeo. And so we want to give the community a, a better look at each one of you individually. So again, Thank you. you're welcome. Great interview. Thank you for your time. I hope you have a very good day and we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you. Welcome. Bye-bye.